Today is our annual vision casting day that we call Fast Sunday. Fast stands for Forest Annual Strategy Talk. I want to confirm our vision and deepen our commitment and the strategy to that vision. What is a vision of a forest? That is to be a good ship to Jesus and, to, and, and become a good shepherd to others. Holistic Christian life has a dual calling of a lordship of Christ and the discipleship. The lordship of Christ means that we are not merely saved, but we recognize our other creaturely condition like a ship. You know, Bible compares human beings to ship. Why? Ships are the most vulnerable and pathetic animals. Yet, ship is the most blessed and privileged because of a shepherd. No other animals have a shepherd's like a ship. Lions and bears and elephants, they don't have a shepherd to look after them. Sheep do. So now, without hearing and obeying Christ, we will become not just, we are nothing but a, not just a dumb sheep, but actually we are doomed sheep. We are doomed sheep. That is, without Christ and His Word and His Holy Spirit, we are self-deceived and eventually self-destructive. That's why we cannot be content only in believing Jesus as our Savior, but, all, but we, we are that serious about following Him as our Lord and Master. And when we follow Christ, we become a shepherds to others, because that's who Jesus is, and that's what He does. To fellowship with Christ means to fellowship with those whom God wants to find and bring back to God's family. So it means that we join Christ's saving mission as his deputy shepherds. Helen Keller once said, the most pathetic person in the world is someone who has a sight but has a no vision. Someone who can see physically but cannot see spiritually. I want to tell you, the most pathetic person in the world is actually a Christian who is saved but has no vision of God to serve. The most pathetic, pathetic person in the world is a Christian who is saved but still serves himself or herself rather than God's purpose. They are like an Israelite in the book of Exodus who are delivered from the bondage of a slavery in Egypt but refuse to follow God's direction to the promised land. A Christian without vision of Christ, according to a one pastor, is like a someone who collects grocery coupons while his whole room is a wall peppered with an expensive gift certificate. Today, I want to share with you vision and direction of a Christian life in 1 Peter. I call it vision of a holy and hungry people. In order to follow God, we need to be holy and hungry. Holiness and hunger, spiritual hunger, are inseparable as you will see. So let's talk about holiness first. For that, let me read uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 16. Therefore, with the minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope 
on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Do you notice holy is repeated four times here? Today's text starts with a therefore, which means this is a continuation and conclusion of a previous passage. To recap the previous section, the first part of the uh, chapter 1, Peter said in the uh, greeting in the verse 1 of uh, his letter, chapter 1, he called Christians uh, elects and exiles of God in the world. We are elects of God and exiles in the world. This is our dual identity. We are called by God. And once again, this elect, I just want to remind you, it's, you know, biblical meaning of election is not about individual salvation, but it is a corporate vocation. It's about vocation. It's about serving God's purpose more than who is saved and who is not saved. And as a result, we are serving God. We are treated as strangers or foreigners or aliens in the world. That's what Peter meant by we are exiles. Now, in the rest of the uh, chapter 3 and chapter 1, Peter also, verse 3, said that praise be to God the Father, God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy he has given us new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we have a living hope, not just any hope. Everybody has hope, but our hope is a true and it is a powerful, it's effective because it's a living hope. It makes us alive. When you have a real hope, not a just a you know, vague hope, but you have a real hope. You know, that hope is about the future, but actually it makes an impact on today. It's like uh, some delicious lunch is uh, waiting for you, and you are excited. You are already salivating or something like that. Now, later in the verse 12, Paul, uh, uh, Peter says, that's what even angels, what happens to us, what it was a, not only what prophets, you know, what Old Testament prophets, you know, uh, prophesied, but even angels were longing to look into these things. That means as a children of God, as a followers of Jesus Christ, you and I are living the last era or stage of a God's redemptive history. And we are God's so-called ultimate people. In Christ, Jews and Gentiles became a one. So with this foundational blessing, Peter now gives us what commentator called the theological ethic in the second half of 1 Peter chapter 1. And the key component or calling of a Christian ethic is to be holy as God is holy. So, the, the key word today is a holy. What does it mean to be holy? Holiness is a common word and a major concept in the Bible, yet many Christians feel overwhelmed and almost feels almost impossible. Many feel God's call for holiness is like a superman 
you know, calling us that, oh, if I can fly, you can fly, try flying. Or some Christians feel that, oh, not everybody can be holy. Maybe pastor should be holy. So Pastor Paul, you be, you be, please be holy, but not I. Let me tell you clearly today what holy means. The word holy simply means different. Different. When cherubim, the angels attending to God's throne, praise God, holy, 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 they are saying God is utterly different, different, different from the rest of everything in the universe. Of course, God is a creator and everything else is a creature. But when God calls us to be holy or different like him, what is it God talking about? Is it God telling us to be creators with all kinds of omnis? God is calling us to be omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent like him? For that clear understanding of what God called us to be holy or different, we need to read the rest of the chapter 1, verse 17 to 24. And as I read this remaining chapter 1, I want you to find the one verse that Peter was actually want us to connect the holiness to. So verse 17. Since you call on the Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as a foreigners, once again exiles, here in the reverent fear. For you know that it was not with the perishable things, such as a silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of a life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last days for your sake. Once again, God's election is a Christological, and we are living in the last days since Christ was came to this our world. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead, glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now, you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another. Love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable, through the living, enduring word of God. For all people are like a grass, and all their glory is like a flowers of the field. Grass withers and flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is a word that was preached to you. So what is the key verse here in this section that captures the uh, application of a holiness or call of a holiness? Anybody? Okay. It is a verse 22. Peter said, Now you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for one another, each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Being holy like God means loving others like God. And here is an amazing truth that God loves us sincerely and deeply from the bottom of his heart. How do we know that? The cross of Christ reveals God's profound love and his heart 
for us. When we receive the revealing heart of God in Christ, we begin to reflect God's holiness as our character. And that's what Jesus actually meant earlier in the Sermon on Mount in Matthew 5.28. Do you remember Jesus said, Be perfect as my your heavenly Father is a perfect? You know, I mean, Jesus didn't mean that perfect, you know, that didn't mean that be a sinless. No, that's not what it means. Loving, love each other as a father loved us. So being holy like God means being different like God. It means loving others with a God's heart as God loved us. You know, last Sunday, uh, Han introduced us a very uh, uh, interesting uh, person. Um, her name is uh, Rosaria Butterfield. And uh, I read her story about seven years ago in Christianity Today as one of the top 10 articles. I forgot about her. And I'm so glad that Han brought back the, uh, ro- uh, the, her story. And Rosaria Butterfield, do we have her picture somewhere? Yeah. Hey. She's the same age as I am. But uh, anyway, Rosaria Butterfield is a PhD from Ohio State and was a former tenure professor of English literature and gender study at Syracuse University in upstate New York. And she was a lesbian and the leader of a LGBTQ community. And she wrote the first policy of a domestic partnership in her universe, for her university. And a lot of other schools actually copied her policy. And uh, when Promise Keepers came to Syracuse in 1997, at the time she was researching her second book, Religious Right. So she was seriously engaged what he called a culture war as an opponent of a biblical worldview and what she called a you know, Christian oppressive gender order. So she wrote an article in a newspaper, The Promise Keeper is a Promise Keeper is a danger to American democracy. Promise Keeper is a danger to American democracy. It's oppressive to the woman and all other, you know, uh, uh, minor, you know, whatever, LGBT, LGBTQ community. As a result, she received many uh, fan mails as well as uh, hate mails. Among them, she received a very interesting uh, response, an invitation letter from a local Reformed Presbyterian pastor named uh, Ken Smith and his wife, Floyd. To make a long story short, they invited her to come over and have a conversation in in, in dinner. And she took their hospitality and she began conversation with them over two years in their house. And then she became follower of Christ and uh, made a remarkable journey of her faith since then. Last, you know, 21 years. Now, this is what she said. Rosaria Butterfield, she said, opposite of a homosexual is not a heterosexual. 
but holiness of God. Let me repeat that. She said that opposite of homosexual sexuality is not a heterosexuality, but a holiness of God. So you can see that she is not into so-called uh, you know, reparative therapy. There are some Christians who try to fix the uh, homosexual to heterosexual. That's not what she's into. She's more into following God as you are. That's what she is getting in. And this is what she said. She, let, let me show her, uh, her quote here. She said, not this one, the next one. To be clear, I was not converted out of homosexuality. I was converted out of unbelief. I didn't swap, swap out a lifestyle. I died to a life I loved. I'm going to talk about that briefly later. Conversion to Christ made me to face the question squarely. Did my lesbianism reflect who I am, which is what I believed in 1999? Or did my lesbianism distort who I am through the fall of Adam? I learned through the conversion that when something feels right and good and real and necessary, but stands against God's word, this reveals the particular way that Adam's sin marks my life. Our sin nature deceives us. Sin's deception isn't just out there. It also deep in the caverns of our heart. And then she's, she made a very important point. I'm repeating the last, you know, last week's sermon because this is something that we should reckon. We cannot just you know, hear it and forget. One you know, very difficult aspect of a sin is that my sin never feels like a sin to me. That is a deception of sin. My sin always feels like a light to me, plain and simple. My heart is an idol factory, and my mind is an excuse-making factory. Keep this you know, uh, quote for a while. This is exactly what Paul talks about the spiritual strongholds in our life, in Paul's letters. You know, enemy, the adversary, the Satan and all demonic forces were defeated by Christ, but not completely. Even though they lost the war, but the, this, the, the, this remnant of the demonic forces, until before the final judgment of God, they are still engaging some kind of a spiritual guerrilla warfare and create certain spiritual strongholds in believer's life or every believer's life. And this believer's life, strong spiritual strongholds, I mean spiritual stronghold is nothing but a rationalized, justified, you know, sin, habitual sin in our life. So she's absolutely right. When she found out her homosexuality is actually sin of her choice. And the only way that she can really encounter it is a, it's not about, uh, about dealing, you know, solving the homosexual, homosexuality. Or, it's not a sexual issue. The main thing in her life is about whose authority, whose truth is she following, who is her maker. 
It's all self. It's all bad. So, now, I read her, you know, her book uh, about conversion story in her first book, The Secret Thought of Unlikely Convert. But I was very curious about her, you know, how she changed her life since then and reflected God's holiness in her Christian walk in the last 20 years. So I knew that the, I, I found out she married a pastor in 2001 and she, they adopted four children and they are actually homeschooling their kids. And her second book, or second major book, uh, came out and the book title is I Love It. This book title is a Gospel Comes with a House Key. Gospel Comes with a House Key. And uh, I have to confess, this week I read this book more than Bible. Because this book is so educating and entertaining, entertaining at the same time. I actually find this book is the uh, Bible to suburban Christians like us. So, in this book, she was advocating so-called radical, ordinary hospitality. She said that's the biblical call, and she's absolutely right. And she is a living out practical biblical discipleship through exercise of hospitality. And so, she and her husband, Ken Butterfield, they are pastor team, and uh, Sunday, every Sunday at 3 p.m., they basically open up their house to their neighbors and anybody who wants to come by for meals and coffee and, you know, chat, they open up. Everybody in the neighborhood knew that a, a Butterfield's house is open on Sunday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, 3 p.m. They do that also the weekdays from time to time. And then the rest of the book has a lot of practical testimonies and stories. So I don't want to spoil you much, but there's a one story that really, and uh, really enlightening, and edifying, was that uh, one day her she had a new neighbor. He was the uh, very reclusive uh, army veteran named uh, Hank. Hank had uh, all kinds of trouble, chronic depression, PTSD, you name it. He's not an easy person to get along. So when she brought her, you know, a welcome food basket and all that, and she received it, and then she turned off the, uh, she turned, he turned off the, uh, uh, what is that, the doorbell. <laughs> so no one, you know, no one, can, she would not bother. And, and also he had a hundred pounds of people named Tank, which terrorized a whole neighborhood. But step by step, they became a friend and good neighbor. Until one day, she found that Hank was drug dealer, mass cooker, and DEA came middle of the night and arrested him. But through that process, Hank came to know Christ, and many of our neighbors came to know Christ. So, I, I really, you know, uh, well, so I was so challenged. This middle-aged woman, same age, same age as I am, and living out the radical Christian discipleship. And amazing thing is that she said, 
You know, amazing thing about her is that for her, meeting Christ was so real that she was willing to give up the life that she built and she actually loved. You know, she was a tenure professor at a very uh, 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 reputable university. Do you know how hard it is to be a tenure professor? I was an academician once. So in Baylor University, and then like most research universities, the two people who look most higher than anybody in the entire campus are the PhD students who are looking for faculty positions someday, and the junior faculty who are trying to make it a permanent faculty position. These are the two most uh, fatigue-ridden you know, uh, people. She got the, the treasure tenure position. And she was a leader of a LGBTQ. She was a treasure by so many people. Her house was, as she said, actually, is a church for the LGBTQ community. And when she followed, when she met the Holy God and recognized his authority and followed him, she gave that all. She gave that all. How could she do that? Let me make a last quote from her book. So, do we have that one? Are Christians are victims of this post-Christian world? No, sadly, Christians are co-conspirators. We embrace the modernism's perk when they serve our own lust and selfish ambitions. We despise the modernism when it crosses lines of our precious moralism. Our cold and hard heart, our failure to love the stranger, our selfish, selfishness with our, our money, our time, and our home. Our privileged back turned against widows, orphans, and prisoners, and refugees mean we are guilty in the face of God of withholding love and Christian witness. And even more serious is our failure to read our Bibles well enough to see the creation ordinance and the moral law found first in the Old Testament is also binding to the Christian as any red letter. Our own conduct condemns our witness to this world. From Rosaria Butterfield, she became a faithful, radical followers of Christ. Because you know why? She not only met the Holy God, but she met the Holy God through the Holy Scripture. The fact that she is an English literature professor, she knows how to read a book. She knows how to understand the text with the context. Together, she met Christ is a true, living, risen Son of God. And with his authority, she has this courage, this joy, this new hope, new birth, this living hope that Peter talked about. To give it all for the glory of God. And God has been, God's been real. And God has been saving people through her. I really, so I really, so I recommend the, her books uh, uh, so much. And I'm actually uh, uh, thinking about reading together in our shepherds. And maybe in the house churches, you can also share bits of our, you know, uh, uh, inspiration. But here is the second point of the today's message. For her to follow God radically like that, 
she also fed herself through the word of God. That is our second point. So God called us to be not only holy, but also be too hungry. So for that, let me read a second, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1-3. Therefore, read yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind, like a newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. The second direction of a Christian life is to be hungry for God's word, like newborn babies. Again, this passage starts with another therefore, meaning holiness and hunger are connected. We cannot be holy or stay holy unless we are nourished by God's word. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. Here, Peter compares the attitude and the attention of Christians for God's word to newborn baby and their focus on milk. Why newborn babies and their craving for milk? You know, some of you know, Peter was a married apostle. Yes, isn't that interesting? The, the, the first pope of a Roman Catholic church was actually married apostle. And uh, perhaps... Uh, a father. Uh, we don't know for sure whether he was actually father, but we know, we all know, how ferociously and ruthlessly babies cry and crave for mother's milk. When babies are hungry, nothing will keep them quiet except the milk. Then they're not easily swayed or pacified. You know, when we, we where, where is that, uh, uh, Ethan? You know, or, or Jenny my holding the, you know, a Kate. You know, when baby cries, you, you promise the baby, I'll buy you Tesla, I'll buy you new Tesla. Do you think a baby said, wow, what did you just say? You know, you offer a diamond, I'll buy you a five carat diamond ring for you. Do you think a Kate will say, I'll hold my, you know, craving for like an hour. Yeah, get me a diamond. Nothing will satisfy baby when baby for milk. They demand their milk with the determination. They cry without ceasing. They tell their need for milk above everything you have to do. They craving calls you to stop and drop everything and attend to, I mean, find the milk. You know, before Patrick Henry said, give me a liberty or death, babies, they say, give me a milk or death. They are epitome of a so-called that. Hangry people, hangry people, hangry people. Yes, I have a hangry people in my household. And but, you know, that's an attitude that Peter tells us to have when it comes with God's word. Why? Because God's word have a powerful truth as a saving wisdom for us. Peter here said, verse 2, you know, that a uh, Crave for pure spiritual milk, right? Pure spiritual milk. Actual Greek word for that is a pure, logical milk. The spiritual, in actually Greek word, is a logical, logikos. I mean, uh, you know, logikos or logikos. You know, it's a reasonable. 
You know, Bible not only comforts our heart, it actually nourishes our mind and then actually strengthens our soul. There's no such a thing as a saturation point in, in the Bible learning. Charles Spurgeon once said, nobody outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our ears. I think this is well said. You know, this is what the Karl Barth said. I read many books, but the scripture reads me. Scripture makes me think. I read the Bible when I'm sad, not because it confirms my feeling of sadness, but I read the Bible when I'm sad because it challenges me to think a new way of life, new way of our life. The same can be said when I'm hungry, uh, when I'm angry, frustrated, depressed, confused, and so on. When I read a Bible, it really changes my outlook on life. You know, many, that's how many people found God's saving grace and the strengthening comfort in the Bible. Martin Luther, once a Roman Catholic monk, found God's justification by faith in the book of Psalms and book of Romans. Karl Barth, once a very uh, uh, gullible liberal theology follower, he completely dethroned the liberal theology when he came to read and meditate on the book of Romans. One of uh, my uh, uh, surprising blessings that I received from my uh, alma mater, Princeton Theological Seminary, uh, was when I took an Asian American theology class by Sang Yeon Ni. So let me briefly illustrate the power of God's word. Professor Sang Yeon Ni, was the first Asian American chaired professor in a, in a reputable seminaries like Princeton Theological Seminary. PhD from Harvard Divinity School, much more than that, he was mentored, or, uh, uh, mentored by uh, H. Richard Niebuhr, the American theologian. And he was a world-renowned expert on Jonathan Edwards, and he is a pioneer of Asian American theology. So let me tell you a little bit about his story. He was a son of a Presbyterian pastor in Daegu, South Korea, and his father sent him to U.S. when he was in junior high school. So he always uh, thought that uh, one day he would return to Korea. Then an uh, unexpected tragedy happened to him. His only daughter, precious only daughter, beautiful, young, vibrant, only daughter. In, right after college, she became uh, suddenly sick and she died. Uh, Professor Lee said that was the hardest time he ever experienced in life. So after burying his daughter, Dr. Lee, he he had a change of a heart that how can I return to Korea leaving my daughter or body in America? So as a heartbroken father, he decided to live in this country. He decided to be buried next to his beloved daughter. Now, the problem was his identity 
Even though he lived here for a long time, was always Korean. All of a sudden, he has to become an American. And he has to face his social identity, permanent social identity as so-called Korean-American, or he said it, hyphenated American. Do you know, other than uh, uh, Anglo-American or white Americans, rest of us is called uh, hyphenated American, Asian-American, Latino-American, African-American, whatever American, Southeastern American, you know, Indian-American, you know. We are all hyphenated American. So this out of, you know, very liminal feeling, Professor Sang Yen felt depressed about, you know, living in this country as a so-called, some kind of second, you know, class citizen. So guess what? He said he began to read a Bible. He's a seminary professor. He's a renowned systematic theologian. He knows the Bible, but he said he began to read a Bible more seriously than ever. He was, he was a reading Bible that he read many times, but with a new heart crying out to God, Lord, speak to me. And guess what he found? While was he reading the Gospels, all of a sudden he noticed something that about Jesus he did not see before. That was Jesus being a Galilean Jew. Jesus was not just a human being. He was not born just an ordinary Jew. He was Galilean Jew. Those of you who took the Livingstone Bible study know the importance of Jesus being a Galilean Jew. When Sangemni found the Galilean Jewishness of Jesus, he finally accepted his call as a marginalized, hyphenated American or immigrant with a faith. Jesus was not only incarnated, but he is incarnated as a marginalized human being that makes all marginalized people meaningful and even powerful. The words of God can meet the craving of our soul and cries about our soul. It can satisfy our heart and minds more than any wisdom and comfort in the world if we seek God's wisdom and comfort desperately and humbly. You know, our spiritual strength our stamina comes from God's word. So at the beginning of the year, I really, this is a, my, my testimony and my challenge and that my pastoral you know, exhortation to you. Commit your life to be to, to, to the spiritual you know, hunger for God's word. Crave God's word. You know, last year, one of the highlights of the last year was uh, having a daily breath. We, you know, we had at uh, 7 o'clock in the morning, about 20 minutes of uh, uh, morning devotion, uh, five days a week. It was a blessing, but it was uh, exhausting because of that, uh, we had about 175 you know, uh, daily breath, uh, more than six months. And uh, toward the end, I was uh, physically exhausted. And I was kind of missing my usual uh, uh, leisure activity that I had. So I was saying, I was kind of, oh, I don't have no time to do anything except uh, 
read our Bible, prepare the short mini-sermon, and then preach, and then start all over. And then I read a Bible, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3. It said, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, and drunkenness, and orgies, and carousing, and detestable idolatry. Well, and all of a sudden, that Bible verse jumped at me. You know what this Bible verse, you know, uh, grabbed me? Holy Spirit grabbed my heart and said, Paul, you sinned enough. <laughs> That's what he said through this verse. You sinned enough and you miss sin in front of this great God's word. You know what? This verse carried me whole month of December, I have to say. So, who said God's word is just, a, you know, it's just, a, you know, you know, letter in the, it's just, you know, printed page. God's word is truly living and sharper than any double-edged sword. And still, this raw, you know, a prompting of the Holy Spirit from this passage is in my heart. Haven't you sinned enough? So isn't it about time for you to live for glory of God? And you don't have much time. And I agree, I don't have much time. You know, you don't have much time. We don't have much time. Especially those of you, you know, uh, start receiving the AARP, you know, letter. Your time is uh, numbered. You're about to see Jesus very soon. Uh, so, then how come I'm not doing a, a daily breath devotion these days? You know why? Because I'm reading the Bible once. So, we're going to start the daily breath with the Lenten season in the middle of February. And I want to give an advertisement. We're going to do a book of Romans. I decided every year we're going to do Lenten season, intense, some of the serious major books of the Bible. Uh, we're going to study. So I'm, we're going to do the uh, you know, uh, verse by verse study on the book of Romans during the Lenten season. If we don't finish, we'll, do the, we'll continue next year. After that, I already have a schedule. We're going to do book of Revelation and so forth. So this is an advertisement. But before the Lenten season comes, I want to read a whole book once. Because there are many ways to pray for God's word. Detailed study as well as overview study. Do you know, a few weeks, I mean, a few months ago, I had an embarrassing you know, uh, encounter. Actually, last year, soon as the pandemic happened, first thing we did was reading the Bible together through Zoom. Do you guys remember? We read all the historical books together. We might do that after the uh, Lenten season. But, you know, so I thought, I read the Bible again once a, once a, once a year. And then during the Bible study, guess what happened? I was talking about Abraham and uh, when God called Abraham. And I wasn't sure whether God called Abraham when he was uh, 75 or 65. Do you know when God called Abraham out of Chaldea or Ur of Chaldea? 65 or 75? People think 65, raise your hand. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. No. Okay, people think 75, raise your hand. All right. I gave you a hint. It was 75. How in the world that I said is 65? You know why? I was thinking about my own social security, you know, check. That's why 
unknowingly, I said, God called Abraham at the age of 65. And something is not right. You know? I'm a professional clergy. And yet, I read the Bible more than most of you, I think. And yet, I still kind of miss some facts. So I said, oh my goodness, I need to read the Bible through. All right, let me conclude my sermon, our message, quick. The greatest blessing that I discovered in pandemic or COVID-19 is the discovery of uh, Zoom. How much Zoom can do for us. With the Zoom, I want to expand our Good Shepherd College. So I want to tell you this. Again, last year's uh, highlight was that uh, we established the Livingstone Bible Study after Cornerstone. So I always felt there's a gap between Cornerstone Bible Study and the John Disciples one. But we found the Livingstone Bible Study. Those of you new, Livingstone Bible Study is a biblical Christology. So we kind of uh, study the life of Christ in four parts in detail. I really encourage you because when you have a Livingstone Bible Study, you get a good grip on the uh, Gospels. And so this year, I want to go further. And I want to uh, finish the John Discipleship too and also prepare a Genesis discipleship. And uh, so this is uh, my pastoral exhortation or application for all of us, especially everybody and especially those singles or whoever, you know, we are very transient. We have uh, uh, new people as well as old members left the church because of a uh, uh, job relocation. While you're in DFW, please take a Good Shepherd College. We, I, you know, you can ask the people. We have a really good homegrown uh, education curriculum. It is my, you know, sort of a vision, ambition to make uh, the the uh, adult disciple, well, not necessarily adult, the uh, a solid discipleship curriculum. And now with the you know gift of Zoom. I think you can take our class anywhere. Even if, even if you move away, please take a Good Shepherd College. I guarantee you that by the time that you finish the three years of curriculum, you know how to disciple other people and that that's what we want you to take a class. So it's not just a Bible study that just for your own need. You can disciple other people. So that's my overall you know, encouragement to everybody. The second, I want to say this, parents. I want to talk to parents because the most important VIPs in our church is our children. I want to tell you parents, you know, I want you to cast the vision casting for your I want you to cast the vision for your children with the God's word. This is a, a pastor said. And this Andy is a you know has a has a very practical wisdom for pastors. So this is what Andy Stanley said. And I totally concur with him. He said most significant visions are not cast by a famous pastors or great orators, but the most significant vision are cast at the best side of our children. The greatest vision casting opportunity happened between hours of seven thirty and the nine thirty p.m. Monday through Sunday. In these closing hours of the day, we have a unique opportunity to plant the seed of what could be and what should be in our children's souls and life. Take opportunity you get. 
So parents, I hope you cast a vision for God's vision for your children every night through short Bible reading and prayers. And don't rush them to sleep. Take a time to share God's word and pray for them. They are precious VIPs. With that, let's, pr let's pray. We have uh, two more vision casting after this, so let's pray.